If you were here last Sunday, uh, we started uh, what was intended to be just a one Sunday sermon. I opted to, uh, to break it down into two Sundays. So uh, I talked about uh, the sovereignty of God last week, uh, intended to preach on Psalm 89, 1 to 18, but I decided to break it down into two uh, Sundays because you know I reviewed the, the sermon last week. It ran for about 40 minutes. So just imagine if I preach uh, last week, uh, including today, it, we, we would easily reach, easily reach an hour, an hour. And I, I know some of you, uh, you're fine with that. <laughs> you're fine if we reach 60 minutes, 65 minutes. But uh, we decided to break this down into two uh, Sundays because... You know, we want to, uh, to really savor the Word of God and allow our minds and our hearts to, to simmer in, in God's Word and be reminded of His grace. So just maybe a quick uh, review of what we talked about uh, last Sunday regarding uh, the sovereignty of God and our title was He's Got the Whole World uh, in His Hands. Uh, when we think about God's uh, sovereignty, uh, there's value as we look at the, the psalm here that we do not go first thinking about God's absolute power. We must first think about and recognize God's steadfast love. So unang-una, we, we, we first remind ourselves when we think about God's sovereignty, we think about God's steadfast love at, as it is expressed in his covenant. Number two, that when the Lord rules, there's nothing to compare it with. There's nothing to compare it with. So therefore, our bad experiences with faulty rulers become irrelevant. And even, you know, our, our good experiences with the greatest of earthly rulers are of no match. When you think of maybe your, your most favorite president, your most favorite ruler, they're of no match to the sovereignty of God. You know, again, the Bible speaks a lot about God's sovereignty. I, I'm not saying, that, you know, the Psalm 89 is the definitive text with the sovereignty of God. That is not true. There's a lot of things that you can look at in the scripture uh, talking about God's sovereignty, but we are looking at the Psalms because we want to see a personal experience of God's sovereignty expressed through a song. So what we're doing here, what we're doing here is just adding important details to our understanding of God's sovereignty so that it is not just a banner statement that we say without meaning. Sometimes we just say that, oh, sovereign naman si God eh. But we don't, we, don't, we don't have anything beyond that to, to say. So, you know, we want this to be a doctrinal statement that comforts our, our very soul. Keep in mind that we are looking at here, what we're looking is a psalm of lament. You don't notice that in the first 18 verses of Psalm 89, but if you look at maybe the two-thirds of the, the text, the psalmist is saying, 
Lord, you have forgotten your covenant. It seems like you have forgotten your covenant with David. It's a lament. It's telling us, it's helping us to see that even in times of grieving, even in times of lament, even in times of um, uncertainty, we can turn to God's sovereignty for comfort and joy. So today, we are going to look at three things today as we uh, continue with this text. We are going to look at three things a king must have. If we see that the sovereign Lord is our, uh, associated here as a king, a ruler, a king must have three things. Number one, we, we, we need to describe his kingdom. How can, be, how can a king be a king if he doesn't have a kingdom? Number two, his throne. And number three, his subjects. Okay, his kingdom, his throne, and his subjects. When I say subjects, those who submit to his rule. So the psalmist in, in our second part of this um, uh, two-part sermon um, is describing the sovereign Lord's kingdom, throne, and subjects. Let's go first with the kingdom. Psalm 89, 9-13. If you look at this text, there is no mistaking here about the boundaries of God's kingdom. It is from heaven to earth and everything in between and everything found in it. We are even told that the mountains, so yung Tabor and Hermon, are two prominent mountains uh, in northern Israel. Uh, and, and, and the psalmist is saying, these mountains are joyful at the name of their king. Friends, nothing is outside God's jurisdiction. Can you think of a place where you say, where you might think God will say, ah, that's beyond my jurisdiction. Is there anything like that? Huh. You might think, some people might say, well, pastor, what about hell? Isn't that where God will say, ah, labas na ako dyan, ah. hell na yan, wala ako dyan. You know, hell is the complete presence of God in his wrath unrestrained. It is not the absence of God. It is the presence of God's wrath unrestrained. So even in hell, it's, it's not beyond God's sovereign kingdom. Yes, even the enemies of God. And when there's enemies of God, as we see in verse 9 and 10, the sovereign king, the sovereign Lord, brings order to that chaos, brings order to that disorder, uh, brings peace. And you, you must notice the, the, the language here from a Hebrew literature. Uh, when there's sea uh, and when there's waves, it is always associated with chaos and disorder and, and panic and even death. And we might need 
to clarify, Rahab here in this text is not the same Rahab that we see in the story of Joshua. This is not the Lady Rahab uh, in, in the book of Joshua. Rahab here is a mythical sea creature. You might say a Loch Ness monster, something like that, but really not. But it's a sea monster that's ruling uh, chaos. So basically, it's describing here, you know, chaos and disorder. And the idea is that God takes care of the chaos. That's why fishermen like, you know, Peter, James, and John, when they go to the sea and there's waves, they're terrified. When they see waves, it's, it's like death is calling them. You remember that moment in the gospel where Jesus calmed the storm? I mentioned this last week. Jesus calmed the storm. You remember the disciples' response when Jesus calmed the storm? They were scared of the sea. They said, Lord, don't, don't you care? We are going to die. They're terrified of the sea. But when Jesus calmed the storm, were they relieved? They were terrified even more. Bakit sila terrified? It's not because they saw a great miracle. They have been seeing uh, great miracles with Jesus, right? They, uh, Jesus uh, opened a blind man's eyes. He, a lame man walked. Uh, healed leprosy. They see left and right, miracles after miracles. It is not the great miracle why these disciples were terrified of what happened right there. You know, it is more likely because they have heard Psalm 89 verse 9 in their songs in their hymns. And they know Psalm 89 verse 9 was referring to Yahweh, their covenant-keeping God. And here they are in the boat with someone who did exactly what Psalm 89 verse 9 says. The raging sea was stilled. So they know this is no mere man. This is, no, this is not just a mere teacher. This is not just a, a miracle worker. This is a person where the winds follow him. Friends, no part of your life is beyond God's kingdom. No part of your life is beyond God's jurisdiction. Even the messy, even the chaotic, even the, 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 the parts in our lives that we don't want people to know, that's still within God's jurisdiction. You know, in our rebellion, we might say, Lord, can I just keep this part of my life? Um, can you just not touch this part of my life? And when the Lord brings order to that part of your life, no, we rebel. We say, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. I got this. 
I will take care of this. No wonder we complain. No wonder we grumble. No wonder we, we say, how can you be a good God when you're, when you're dealing with things that I don't want you to take care of? Here's a, a sobering reminder in, in the New Testament, Colossians 1, 16 to 17, for by him, talking about Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, or and all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Brothers and sisters, the same God that the psalmist is singing about in Psalm 89 is the same God that was in the boat with the disciples calming the storm. It's the same God that holds your world together. Are there parts of your life that you might be fearful that when this happens, Lord, don't you care? We're going to die. Lord, don't you care? I've heard this from, for, uh, with many Christians. Lord, don't you care? You know, the, you know the, the nation is going to be in a mess. Don't you care? And I find comfort in this statement by uh, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, you can search it. Uh, you know, you can Google this to verify if it's legit. Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. Every aspect of our lives is within the jurisdiction of our sovereign Lord. But that does not mean All of these things around us is within God's jurisdiction does not automatically mean we submit to it. I'll talk about more of that later on. So what happens is when we grumble, when we grumble, we complain to God about our circumstances. Lord, bakit ganito nangyari sa buhay ko? Bakit ganito ang nangyari sa family ko? Why is this happening in my, uh, in my profession? Uh, we are essentially saying to the sovereign Lord, we might not be saying this explicitly, but this is the, in essence, this is what we're saying. God, you made a mistake here. You made a mistake. And an implication din nun, God, if you made a mistake in this circumstance, I know better than you. And it's in these moments where we feel like we're better than God, where it is helpful to be reminded of the sovereign Lord's throne. So we now move to the second point. We, we talk about God's, the sovereign Lord's kingdom. What is the sovereign Lord's throne where he sits? Where is the symbol of his power? Just one verse in our text, verse 14 Righteousness and justice 
are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. You know, we just, we're still fresh in the results of, of the elections. Uh, but obviously, we want every candidate, we want every politician to express their platform so we know where they stand, right? We know where uh, these leaders would, where they would want to take us. So some politicians would stand on the economy, right? Some, some people would stand on uh, their platform of strong leadership. Uh, some candidates will talk about, you know, we must uh, bring uh, character in, in our government. And others would say unity. And our text outlines the sovereign Lord's platform. And it is perfect. What is this platform? Equity and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness characterize your rule. Do you notice the balance here? That there's on one side righteousness and justice and on the other side love and faithfulness. Sometimes we, we have the tendency to emphasize one and ignore the other. So if you have a ruler, for example, if you have a king, if we have a king who rules on the platform of only righteousness and justice without love and faithfulness, you know what will happen? We will fear him. We will fear him, but we will not love him. We will not be devoted to him. But if you have a king, on the other end, who rules only in love and faithfulness without recognizing righteousness and justice, we will enjoy him. We will enjoy this king, but we will not respect him. You know, the beauty of this throne is that our God is both. That he stands on righteousness and justice and love and faithfulness. He sits on the throne where righteousness and justice is implemented and love and faithfulness is experienced by his people. We need both. We, we cannot look at God ju just as a, a wrath-giving God, a, a justice-accomplishing uh, God and not recognize his love and faithfulness. And on the other hand, we cannot just say, you know, God is love naman, pwede na, pwede, I can do anything I want. And not talk about righteousness and justice. Friends, just like last week, when we see a throne of a king who has a perfect balance of this, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And if we take this to heart, it will prevent us from being vindictive when things don't go our way, from being bitter when we are wronged, and at the same time, 
when we take this to heart that our God is steadfast and faithful, it teaches us to be gracious to others as well. Because the Lord has been loving and faithful towards us. So brothers and sisters, trust the righteousness and justice of God to make things right in the world. You know, this is our comfort when we see, you know, injustice and, and inequality in the world when, when we say, Lord, that, why is that unfair? We can, we can rest our heads with God's righteousness and justice because he will make things right. I had this conversation about, you know, a hypothetical situation if I was given an opportunity to, uh, to prevent an evil person to be born. Yeah. Mga hypothetical, you know, issues like, would you prevent an evil person to be born if you have the capacity to do that? I said, no. I wouldn't do that. Because my version of righteousness and justice is imperfect. I can trust the complete and full and final justice and righteousness of God. And at the same time, if I am being you know, harsh on, on myself and others, I remember the steadfast love of God. That even in, in my times of faithlessness, the Lord has been faithful to his people. We can find comfort that out of God's love and faithfulness, he has reconciled us to himself. So when we think of, of God's rule, when we think of the sovereign Lord's throne, we, just, we don't think of a God who's vindictive or authoritarian and only that. Or we just don't think of a God who's just you know, loving and merciful and, and gracious and ignoring all sin. He is both. He, well, he is not ignoring sin. This is, you know, we can consider this something like a paradox. How can a king punish sin and also pardon sin? How can that happen? Now, I will answer that again towards the end. So we have a king who rules on a platform of righteousness and justice and love and faithfulness. So what happens to those who bend the knee to this king? And this is where we look at uh, point number three, the sovereign Lord's subjects. How are they described? Verse 15, happy. Happy are those, or in ESV, blessed are those who know the joyful shout. Lord, they walk in the light of your face. They rejoice in your name all day long, and they are exalted by your righteousness. Those who submit to the rule of God, they are described in this way. They are happy. You know, sometimes when we, 
think of uh, a ruler and his subjects. Uh, you know, the subjects are always afraid of the king. The subjects are not looking at the king, uh, towards the king straight in the eye. Uh, they're always, you know, they're always scared of, you know, a punishment that will come from the king. But this is a very good description. Happy are they who submit to God's rule. They enjoy the presence of God. They rejoice. Why do they rejoice? Verse 17 and 18. Because they found their strength and security in the sovereign Lord. This is the, the life of those who submit to the sovereign Lord. And we need to say this because, you know, there's, you might say, oh, sovereign naman si God and his kingdom has no jurisdiction, therefore everything is subject to him. You know, even though the kingdom of God has no jurisdiction, it does not automatically mean everything submits to him. Because the creation and, 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 and us tend to rebel against our sovereign king. If we say, if we say that and part naman tayo ng kingdom of God eh, so automatically applicable sa akin yung verse 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. Now I will be happy, I will be blessed. That the Lord is my shield, the Lord is my strength. You know, even non-Christians, when they're up against the wall, they will claim a verse and say, you know, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my security. It does not automatically mean this applies to all. Because if we say, you know, if we say, now, well, this applies to all. We are on the road to universalism. Now, eventually, lahat naman kingdom ni God eh, so there's no point on submitting to His rule. This is why I like the, the NIV uh, translation of, of verse 15 and 17 because it says, Blessed are those who have learned, learned to acclaim you. Friends, to submit to God's rule is something we must learn. It is not our default behavior. Ever since the fall, our default behavior is to rebel against God. This is the reason why in verse 8, uh, in verse 9 and 10, there's chaos. Because creation through sin has been groaning and rebelling against God. So for us to experience blessedness, for us to experience a, a, a joyful uh, the presence of our sovereign Lord we must learn to submit to his rule. We must learn to submit to his rule. And submitting to his rule has a cost. Verse 18 
I'll talk about that again uh, towards the end. But let me just give some practical applications here just to wrap our things with how we respond to this sovereign Lord. Now, we can respond if, if our king, if our God is really sovereign, let us respond in reverent worship. Let us respond in reverent worship. Remember that um, description last Sunday that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he was in awe. There's fear. That's what it means to, to revere God. Let's also respond in complete trust that his throne stands on a perfect balance of platform. Let us respond in thanksgiving and praise. And this is one of, the, one of the questions that we need to answer. Pastor, how can we reconcile God's sovereignty when we see evil in this world? How can we reconcile that? If God is really sovereign, his kingdom is beyond, uh, without jurisdiction, his throne is, is perfect, his subjects experience blessing, if he created everything, he must be responsible for the evil and suffering in this world, right? And you might have that question, you're, your non-Christian friend might have that question that if, if God is really real, why did he allow the pandemic? If there's a pandemic, it's an evidence of either God is not real or he does not care. So we must have you know, some handles to answer this question. But honestly, you know, this is a difficult question to answer. Right? Even Job, in all his suffering, did not have an answer to his circumstance. Do you notice that? If you go through the, the story of Job, even towards the end, he does not have an answer to his suffering. And I like how, how Tim Keller summarizes that. Um, that statement from Job when he said, I do not see what's going on, but I see God, and that's enough. And the, one of the songs that we sang earlier is, is coming from the book of Job, actually. You give and you take away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So we, we have you know, difficulty to answer this question, but allow me to mention three things I hope will give us some handles that will help us appreciate God's sovereignty. Number one, the suffering and evil we experience is not a creation of God. God is not a creator of evil, right? But this is a consequence of the curse that we experience through sin. Okay? We, we see that in Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right at, up to the present time. So the, the suffering and evil we experience, we, we cannot say, Lord, you created this. God is not the creator of evil. Number two, the evil in this world, yes, we need to recognize that there's evil in this world, and that's primarily because of, of the curse through sin. The evil in this world is still subject to God's sovereign rule. We cannot say that when we experience evil, it's the absence of God, or God is not working here. Again, when we look at the, the story of Job, all the suffering that he experienced had God saying, okay, do that. Look at this, uh, look at this uh, uh, verse, Job. This is the, really the first part of Job. Um, Satan is saying here to God, you know, stretch out your hand to, to your servant, strike him. Uh, strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, Satan is uh, bringing a challenge to God. And the Lord said to Satan, look at this, okay, <laughs> very well. Everything he has in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Yes, there's suffering here in the suffering in the experience of Job, but it is still within God's sovereign rule. Number three, because God is ruling even in the evil in this world, in his sovereign power, God can use the evil things in your life for good. God can cause the evil things in your life for good. And we see this in the life of Joseph in Genesis 50. This is his statement after all the horrible things that happened to him. He was sold to slavery. He was accused of, the, of something that he did not do. He was thrown into prison. But in the end, what did he say to his brothers? Genesis 50, 20, As for you, you meant evil against me. When they threw him in a well, that was no discipline, that was evil. That was intended evil and harm against him. But even that is within God's sovereign power. That's why he said, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Through the suffering of Joseph, their salvation, not just for him and his family, but the entire nation of Israel. And we see a glimpse here of you know, how God works through the good and the bad. And ultimately, we see this happening at the cross. We see this happening at the cross. When the ultimate evil was addressed to bring about the ultimate good. That's why, you know, verse 14 of our text really is key for me. 
when we think about God's sovereignty, we don't only see that in creation. We don't only see that in, you know, in, in the life of God's people. We see it at the cross. Why? Because at the cross is where we see the throne of God is established. What do I mean? Because at the cross, we see God's righteousness and justice fulfilled. Because God dealt with finality the evil that is in the world. God is saying at the cross, I must punish sin. But not only that, if that is only his plan to just punish sin, then who should be at the cross? All of us. But because also God rules in love and faithfulness, he has given his son to take our place. So when, when people uh, place a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, when they place a sign that says King of the Jews, it's true. Because at that moment, his throne is established. Where sin is dealt with and grace is fulfilled for each and every one of us. So when we quote, this is a, you know, a common verse that we quote Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works together for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know this, friends. We know this because of the cross. Because at the cross, Christ established the throne of our sovereign Lord. And because he is sovereign Lord at the cross, he deserves for us to bend the knee to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these two Sundays that we can reflect on your sovereignty. Lord, this is a, a big thing for our minds to wrap around. But just like Job we cannot grasp what's happening in our individual lives and in our society, but we see you and that is enough. Help us to find comfort in your rule when we see your redemptive story in the scripture. Help us find peace, God, with how you have redeemed us and help us be gracious to others who are finding difficulty to also wrap their head around this. God, we, we pray that you will cause us to be patient in adversity and be thankful in prosperity. And I pray, God, that as we uh, proclaim that you are sovereign, God, I pray that it's not just a uh, a meaningless statement for us, but the truth that penetrates our souls. You are our sovereign Lord. You deserve 
our allegiance, our devotion, our love. We worship you, we praise you, and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.